The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16, verses 1 through 15. You can find it printed on page 9 of your worship folder. Paul went on also to Derbe and to Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went from town to town, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they had come opposite Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to Samothrace, the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city for some days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate by the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Tyatira and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. The word of the Lord. God, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, and that you are a God who leads his people. No matter how often we stray, no matter how often we get lost along the way, no matter how often we get separated from you, God, you are a gracious and loving God who walks constantly by our side. We thank you for this. We thank you for your great love. We thank you for your faithful and wise leading in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It's kind of hard to imagine now because we live in such a developed or overly developed world. Uh, but this land that we occupy uh, once used to be a, a place of wilderness. And it's, it's worth noting that in early American culture, the wilderness was a hostile place. I know for many of us, you know, if you like to go camping or if you like to go hiking, the wilderness can be a place of refuge. But 
there was a period in American history where the wilderness was a hostile place. It was a scary place to be. It was a place that people thought you had to conquer, that you had to, to, um, to defeat, to overcome somehow. And it's also worth noting that in the history of this country, African-American slaves, in the same period where so many American, especially pioneers, considered the wilderness a hostile place, African-American slaves had a different relationship to the wilderness. And uh, uh, I think the words of Dolores Williams is really helpful here. She's a, um, a theologian who wrote a landmark, now classic work called Sisters in the Wilderness, and she writes this in that, in that book. To the slave, the wilderness was a friend that often sheltered and fed the runaway slave. In the wilderness, slaves often gathered the plants and herbs they used for healing. Sometimes when slaves were beaten by their masters, they ran off and hid several days in the wilderness. The vegetation and fruit in the wilderness sustained them. And this is such a helpful image for thinking about our text today in Acts chapter 16 because, again, this may not be the first word that comes to your mind as you hear this text, as you read this text, but Paul and the other followers of Jesus are finding themselves in kind of a wilderness moment. We'll get more into this. We'll see more details about this uh, as we reflect on Acts chapter 16. But they're really flailing. They're, they're having a hard time figuring out exactly what it is that Jesus wants them to do. And what we see in this text is not only the disciples flailing and floundering, but we also see the disciples being led by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, by the example of Jesus, by the words of Jesus. And so as we think about this text, let's just break it down into two sections, two subsections. The first point is this. Paul, we see Paul floundering in the wilderness. The second point is simply this. Not only is he floundering in the wilderness, but Paul is also, in the very same moment, finding his way in friendship. Floundering in the wilderness and finding his way in friendship. First, Paul floundering. I mean, we see him failing in spectacular fashion, or at least struggling. What you have to know about Paul in Acts chapter 16 is that he is still a kind of a novice apostle. The image that many of us have, as I think uh, maybe especially if you grew up in the church, you know of Paul the apostle as someone who was accomplished, who wrote uh, large portions of the New Testament. He is one of the, the finest theological minds of the early church. And yet, when we, find, when we walk alongside Paul in Acts chapter 16, this is the early stage of his discipleship. Most commentators will say that Paul is in uh, his second missionary journey in this moment. He has just, just gone through um, the first missionary journey, and then there was something in Jerusalem called the Jerusalem Council. But uh, in the book of Acts, we are just beginning to learn about Paul. Paul showed up in Acts chapter 9. Uh, that's where he has the Damascus Road experience. But the narrative shifts quite quickly back to the apostle Peter and his exploits, uh, his adventures. And it's not until Acts chapter 13 that we go back to Paul. And his first missionary journey doesn't go all that well. At one point, he is stoned to death by an angry mob and left for dead. 
And uh, there's this amazing Jerusalem council. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But then we come to Acts chapter 16. The council is in chapter 15. Uh, the, uh, the second missionary journey of Paul is in Acts chapter 16. And Paul is still figuring things out. He is a novice apostle. And one of the ways that we see Paul figuring things out is that he has just had this amazing amazing breakthrough moment with the other apostles, with the other followers of Jesus in Acts chapter 15. In Acts chapter 15, uh, uh, really shortly, what, what, we, what we gather from Acts 15 is that there is this profound theological turning point where the apostles gathered together, come to agreement, quite, uh, quite astonishing actually, to say that Gentiles who convert to the way of Jesus need not be circumcised. This was a big deal. This was a big deal because of the kind of significance that, that circumcision held in Jewish culture and theology and religion. It's also a big deal because the apostles are, are moving towards a more hospitable, a more inclusive, a more welcoming stance towards uh, people who they have viewed to be on the outside joining their way, becoming part of their community. And then what you have in Acts chapter 16 is Paul deciding to, uh, to, to, uh, to take Timothy along with him. And one of the very first things that we're told he does is what? He gets Timothy circumcised. That's not an insignificant detail. Now, there's some ambiguity here. On the, before we're, you know, we're, before uh, casting uh, aspersions on Paul, we ought to note that Timothy was snagged on a technicality because he was half Jewish and half Greek. And so some commentators would say, well, yeah, you know, uh, Paul could have, you know, overlooked circumcision, but it was really the course of wisdom. It was really Paul in this transitional moment, and some commentators will actually say this. They'll say, circumcision was really a minor surgery, and so it wasn't really that big of a deal. Um, the thing is, if you know what if you don't, children, if you don't know what circumcision is, this would be a really interesting conversation in the car as you go back home. <laughs> Um, the, suffice it to say that it is, it is not an insignificant procedure. Um, that it is one, especially for a grown man, involves pain and discomfort. And for, for Paul, you might say, well, yes, he had to make a, a, a judgment call. And I think it's really interesting that Luke doesn't come to Paul's defense. He just simply narrates the story. And the way the story goes is that, uh, in fact, the, the explanation that Paul gives for why, Paul, uh, why Timothy was circumcised, he says uh, in verse, this is in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. You see, it's not because he is half Jewish, at least according to Luke, that Paul has him circumcised. It's because he was a Greek. And, it, and 
it seems like on the one hand, again, you know, I'm, I, it's a judgment call. It, there's some ambiguity here. But I'm going to go out on a limb and say that Paul probably made the wrong decision here. Because it was, a, it was a really opportune time to say the council at Jerusalem made this breakthrough decision. It was really hard. And we have this sort of ambiguous case, but we're going to decide, we're going to err on the side of generosity here and say, Timothy, you're off the hook. Instead, he has him circumcised. And, um, and you see Paul, one of the other ways that you see Paul flailing or floundering in the wilderness is Paul doesn't really know where he's going. And this is important because uh, after Acts in the New Testament, what you're going to get if you read through the New Testament is Paul in his own words. And Paul is one of those guys, and he, there's a point where he says that he wasn't very impressive in speech when he was in person, but Paul is one of those guys with the pen. I mean, there is, he is an unmatchable personality when he's wielding the pen because he is so eloquent. He is such a good writer. Paul can be flailing. He can be messing up. And when he has a pen in his hand, he can sound like the most eloquent, the most sophisticated person in the world. But what we have in Acts is Paul, a version of Paul, given to us not in the pen or the words of Paul himself, but in the words of Luke. And we get an opportunity to see the ways in which he was kind of a bumbling missionary, trying to find his way. He obviously has a plan, but the plan is constantly getting interrupted. And so in verse 6, we're told the Holy Spirit tells him, don't go to Asia. In verse 7, the Spirit of Jesus, this is the only time in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Jesus. And so you really have a sense of Luke and the early Christians even trying to figure out who, how, how is it that we refer to the Holy Spirit. Well, the Spirit of Jesus tells him not to go to Bithynia. And then Paul has this vision, a man from Macedonia who tells him to come. And the picture that we have in the early part of Acts chapter 16 is that Paul is kind of winging it. Um, there are points where the Spirit of Jesus, or the Holy Spirit, comes and gives him some clear directions, but it's not the whole picture. And he's really having to piece things together. In fact, if, we, if you look in um, chapter 15, uh, I believe it's verse 6, it, it literally says, or this is in verse, um, uh, in verse 10, it literally says that we had to piece together um, where it says uh, in verse 10, let me just read this for you so we're all on the same page. Um, Paul has his vision, and they get ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Concluding. That word concluding in the original language it literally says we had to piece together. We weren't really sure. Why? Because it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it wasn't the Spirit of Jesus. Paul simply had a dream, and there was a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. There's a piecemeal quality to the clarity that emerges for Paul's mission in Acts chapter 16. And one of the lessons that we can take away from uh, this passage is that you don't have to know everything before you set out following Jesus. 
So much of the work of following Jesus for the disciples here is going to be crossing boundaries. And what it means to cross boundaries is that you find yourself going into terrain that you have never been in before. You are literally in uncharted territory, at least in terms of your knowledge, in terms of your expertise. And Paul finds himself in the wilderness floundering in the wilderness, not knowing exactly which way to go, not even sure that it is the Holy Spirit telling him to go to Macedonia. At least his associates, his, his friends aren't sure. He just had a dream. And we pieced together, we gathered, that that's where God wanted us to go. You're not going to know everything. And getting things exactly right is not a prerequisite for following Jesus. It makes me think of a, um, a YouTube channel that uh, our boys love to watch. Um, it's called um, Dude Perfect. It's a bunch of young men doing you know, sports um, tricks, and uh, it's really entertaining. But there's, one, there's one, um, one thing that they do every once in a while. It's called Wheel Unfortunate. <laughs> And the wheel, unfortunately, basically goes, goes something like that. It's a wheel that, that um, the participants get to spin. And it's marked with, it's, uh, it has on it all kinds of unfortunate things that you will have to do depending on where the wheel lands. Okay, so some examples are like, fly to Wisconsin for no reason. <laughs> so when, when someone gets this, they actually get on a plane, they go to Wisconsin, they step off the plane, right? and put their foot on um, land in Wisconsin, and they go right back on the plane and fly back home. Or they have things like um, driving your car until the gas runs out. Or um, waiting in line at a, a busy amusement park, but not getting to go on the ride, actually. <laughs> um, and our boys just love this. They think it's the most, it's the most hilarious thing. And so uh, a couple of days ago, they decided to make their own wheel unfortunate. <laughs> And you know, they can't do things like fly to Wisconsin for no reason. Or, so they thought of their own, um, their own unfortunate consequences that you would have to, to undergo. So let me just read you a couple of the ones that they came up with. Just, just a few. Um, one that I, I, my wife and I particularly enjoyed was um, shower twice. <laughs> like, like literally shower twice. So you shower once, you come out, you put all your clothes on, and then, and then you shower again, right? <laughs> Or they have things like, um, wear dress clothes all day. <laughs> um, and I was so impressed. They actually went through with some of these. And here's the thing that I noticed. Um, as they were doing it, they had so much joy on their faces. Like, they were thrilled. Like one of our sons, he came out, he showered, he put his clothes on, and he said, hey, look, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. I'm going to shower again. And, and, and this is a kid who, I mean, even getting him to shower once is like pulling teeth. He, he was just loving it. Now, before you dismiss all of this as, you know, the um, twisted humor of immature boys, I want you to, there's a principle here I want to try and extract for the sake of the message here. And the principle here is that when, you're, when you find yourself doing something for the sake of a higher purpose, the thing that you are doing, if, even if it doesn't seem directly related, the thing that you're doing, whether it's drudgery or hard or unpleasant, the thing that you're doing can actually feel, um, you know, not so bad. 
right? Like, you're not really sure why you're doing this, or you're not really enjoying it, but you realize because it is serving a greater purpose. Now, what is the greater purpose in Will and Fortunate? It's, it's humor. It's just finding humor in very mundane things. And it's funny because, like, everyone, as they're doing this stuff, both on TV and our boys, they've got this big smile on their faces as they're on their way to shower twice. Or one of our boys last night went to bed with an underwear over his head, had the biggest <laughs> smile on his head, face because he's like, whoa, I'm doing this, and it's so hilarious, it's so funny. And it seems like they're meandering in the wilderness, and it seems like Paul also is just lost, flailing, just completely uh, uh, has, has no idea what he's doing. And this is so important for us to observe in Acts chapter 16 because so often we take a character like Paul and we think of him as this infallible figure, like this great teacher of the Christian tradition. And there might be some things that I've said that you might quibble with, but you can't deny the fact that Paul is kind of flying by the seat of his pants. He's kind of making things up as he goes. And I think we can all agree that as a fallible human being, there are certain things that he does. I mean, we might disagree about, about specific details, but there are certain things that he does that are mistaken, that are unwise, that are flat out wrong. And Luke captures that moment in his life, in his ministry, and says, this too is part of following Jesus. Sometimes you will get things wrong. Sometimes you will find yourself in the wilderness. Sometimes you will have no idea, no good explanation for why it is that you are doing what you're doing. And it may even be that you're doing the wrong thing in the moment. But somehow, Jesus is able to make a straight path out of the crookedness that we travail, that we traverse. That somehow, Jesus, in the midst of all of those things, is still leading. And that's the other thing that we see is, I mean, if you're looking for a bright spot in Acts chapter 16, I think the one bright spot is that Paul finds his way in friendship. It's not Paul's finest hour, but we do see Paul, we do see some, uh, some, some moments, momentary flashes of grace and beauty in this text. And one of those is the friendship that he uh, inaugurates or begins with Timothy. Timothy, who is half Jew, half Greek, who has to undergo something that is painful, unpleasant. And if you're really wrestling with this, there's a, there's a po point in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where Paul, let me read for you what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. And I, I gather this is after Paul in Acts chapter 16, where it says, was a man uncircumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. I wonder what Timothy thought <laughs> when he read or heard these words of Paul. And what you see in Timothy is, now I think we have to be careful here because I think sometimes in the course of friendship, in the course of human relationships, sometimes relationships can get coercive or maybe even abusive. And I want to be very careful not to counsel the kind of acquiescence or the kind of 
um, uh, behavior in a human relationship where you simply let the other person have their way. But there was something about Timothy, whether it was that he was confident in who he was or he was zealous in his and his pursuit of the way of Jesus, there was something in Timothy that allowed him to endure uh, pain and suffering and even um, Paul uh, telling him to do things that may not have cohered theologically in the long run. Um, but there's something about Timothy's relationship with Paul that would take shape. You know, in some ways you could, in a very cynical sense, take this as, a, as an early instance of tokenism. Seems like Paul is taking Timothy with him because he's half Jewish, half Greek. And yet, Timothy becomes one of uh, Paul's uh, most valued and cherished friends. So much so that at the end of his life, Paul will refer to Timothy as my true son, my dear son. Paul will write to Timothy and say, I remember your tears for me, and I long to see you. This amazing, beautiful friendship that emerges, that flourishes in the course of Paul's life. Paul's relationship with with Timothy was not one that Paul was worthy of. I would go as far as to say. But it was one that Paul received purely as a gift of grace. Or I think of Lydia. Lydia, this accomplished woman, this, this woman who has made a business for herself, made, uh, somehow has been able to, to find a way through a male-dominated culture and society, has a home large enough to, uh, to offer hospitality to these, uh, to these foreigners. And Lydia, who comes to Paul and says, if you have found me faithful, please come stay over at my house. The humility, um, the grace, the patience that Lydia displays. It may seem like a little thing, just simply her saying, come over and stay. I want to show hospitality. I have found a kindred spirit in you. I have found answers to some of my deepest spiritual longings and, and musings and questions. And I want you to come and spend time with me. And what Lydia has to do is she has to overlook the chauvinism, the hard-headedness of Paul. You know, Paul, it's important to remember, Paul comes from a pretty conservative background, And so Paul is probably thinking when Lydia says, come and stay at my house, Paul is thinking, I'm not even sure if I'm allowed to have lunch alone with you, let alone come over to your house and be your house guest. And we're told in verse 15 of Acts chapter 16 that Lydia, when when it says that she persuaded us, another way of translating that word might be she defied us. She persisted with us. And she said, if you have found me faithful in our Lord Jesus Christ, then come, come fellowship with me. Come be my guest. And it reminds me of, uh, we have this wonderful quote at the beginning of your worship folder that we have printed for you from Christopher Moaleka, um, who is reflecting on the Trinity. And these are such beautiful and piercing words about the Trinity because I think If any of you have wrestled with the Trinity, I I dare say it has been about the intellectual merits or the contradictions or the logical fallacy or tensions inherent in calling someone who is one God, also three, three persons. How does that make sense? 
How does one plus one plus one equal one? Clearly there's something that you're missing here. And I love what Christopher Morlaka says. Hear these words. The three divine persons share everything in such a way that there are not three gods, but only one God. On believing in this mystery, the first thing we should have done was to imitate God. Then we would ask no more questions, for we would understand. God does not reveal himself to us for the sake of speculation. He is not giving us a riddle to solve. He is offering us life. He is telling us, this is what it means to live. Now begin to live as I do. Where I find really helpful what Justa Gonzalez says about this, reflecting on Christopher Moaleka's words, he says, Christians have made the basic mistake of approaching the Trinity as a puzzle to be solved rather than an example to be imitated. And I believe what we're seeing in Acts chapter 16 is the Trinitarian shape of Paul's relationships, of his friendships, where Paul, in the moment of his deepest, darkest failures, where Paul, it seems like he doesn't even know where he is headed tomorrow when he goes to bed one night, where Paul, in the midst of some profound, amazing theological breakthroughs seems to be backtracking or taking steps backwards, Paul in this moment is called into, without even knowing it himself, quite accidentally in terms of Paul's own awareness or consciousness about any of this, he is being called into Trinitarian friendships, friendships with people that he would, he would not likely have associated himself with in his past. And he does so here even imperfectly. He, he makes mistakes along the way. And he does it reluctantly. But thank goodness, or thank God, that his heart is open just enough to be able to receive these amazing gifts, these amazing friendships. Paul, who is floundering in the wilderness, in the wilderness we see also that Paul finds his way in friendship. The followers of Jesus, as they committed themselves to the way of Jesus, found that when they lived their life like Jesus, it was often uh, a commitment that led them to crossing boundaries, boundaries that felt uncomfortable, boundaries that felt unclean, boundaries that felt like they were spiritually dangerous to cross. And like Paul, when we cross boundaries in the way of Jesus, we are going to get lost. We are going to get lost in the wilderness. But also, when we cross boundaries in the way of Jesus, we will find our way in friendship. And so in short, we've said a lot here, let's just boil it down. Okay, the two basic points of the message. The first point, very simply, if you want to know what it looks like to do, to live, to follow the way of Jesus as we see it laid out for us in Acts chapter 16, the first point is this, get lost. Do something where your expertise, your confidence, 
Your, your savvy is not sufficient to carry you. Do something where you feel helpless, where you feel weak, where you feel like a bumbling fool. And maybe you'll make, even make some mistakes along the way. So get lost. And then two, be a friend. Be a friend along the way. Open your heart to some friends that God may come bring alongside of you that you may not have expected, that you may not have wanted. For dear friends, this is the way of Jesus. This is the call of Jesus in our lives. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much that in Acts chapter 16, we have a picture of an apostle, a follower of Jesus, a teacher of the way who does not have it all figured out, who is bumbling his way through a really important missionary trip. And we thank you for the ways in which this story gives us encouragement to live with our imperfections, to live with our shortcomings, to live in the reality of us not having everything figured out, God. But thank you that your grace is sufficient for us for this day. Give us faith to see it and help us to follow you uh, even in the face of um, all that we don't know, all that we are uncertain of. God, would you lead in this way in our lives? God, would you love us in this way? For your sake we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.